Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Business of Fun podcast. I am your host, Dave Wakeman. Today's episode is brought to you by my friends at Booking Protect, the global leaders in refund protection. Any listing, any sector, anywhere, Booking Protect has you covered with the world's most comprehensive refund protection product. To discover how you can partner with Booking Protect to deliver a world-class buying experience, more customization for your customers during their purchase path, and how you and your organization can create a brand new stream of revenue, visit them at www.bookingprotect.com. Once again, that's www.bookingprotect.com. The global leaders in refund protection. While I'm on the subject of refund protection and connecting with them, I should let you know that me and Booking Protect CEO Simon Mann will be visiting Sydney, Australia together in November uh, 14th and 15th at the Australian Ticketing Professionals Conference in Sydney. This is a conference put on by good friends of ours, Angela Higgins and Joe Michelle. I'll be delivering the keynote address about change and the courage of change. And Simon's going to be doing all kinds of stuff around customer service, uh, delivering customer service uh, digitally, and making your organization customer focused. There's going to be a number of ways that you can engage with us that we're going to announce and roll out over the coming months. But first, I want you to take out your calendar, your if you're like me, old school with a paper one, mark it down November 14th and 15th in Sydney, Australia, and then get your tickets. You can buy your tickets by visiting www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Once again, because that's a mouthful, it's ticketingprofessionals.com.au, and you can sign up. Get hooked in. Come see me. Come meet Simon. Come meet us both. Uh, it's going to be awesome. And we're both very excited to be down there. So once again, www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Get your tickets today. My guest today is a third time Martin Gamaltoff from ActivityStream. Uh, I wanted to have Martin on for a number of reasons. Uh, first off, we wanted to talk about the Certified Consultants Program that ActivityStream just rolled out over the last couple weeks. Spoiler alert, I'm involved. And I was the first person to be certified. So we wanted to talk about that because it's a really cool way for um, organizations that start working with ActivityStream to find some insights and take a little step or two beyond just the standard training to find out ways that they can actually take action off of the ideas and off of the platform, right? So uh, I got trained up. Uh, there's other people like a Andrew Thomas, I think, is getting trained up. Um, there's a few other people that Martin mentioned that I don't know if their um, participation is announced yet. Um, but there's going to be like some really, really great people that you can deal with, and it'll give you a chance to maybe work with some people that you might not have had the opportunity to work with before in a way that is unique. Also, though, after we got through that part of it, we, I wanted to have Martin on because every so often I like to just talk to Martin um, because he always brings something really interesting and really unique to the podcast. And we, he has a way of looking at tickets that's um, different than a lot of other people. So we were talking about all kinds of interesting stuff, and a lot of it built off of a recent podcast I did with, um, or actually two, one with Jacob Lawson from FC uh, Copenhagen, and the other one with Mike Guffrey. And we, so we talked about um, adopting data solutions in your organization. Uh, we talked about segmentation, right? And we built off of some of the stuff that Jacob was talking about. We talked about uh, understanding buying patterns, uh, turning marketing into a uh, 
profit-producing center and not a cost center. We talked about uh, building trust. We talked about um, logical decision-making. We talked about um, doing things that you're strong at. Um, we talked about analytics. We talked about, my goodness, let's see, what else? We talked about, um, you know, magic moments. We talked about uh, categories. We talked about um, habits. We talked about paid media. We talked about uh, Jill Robinson's idea of human plus. We talked about all kinds of different really great ideas. So it was really great to have Martin on again. And um, I think you're going to, if you've listened to the first two, I, I know you'll li like this one. And if you haven't heard Martin before, you should definitely check him out because he is a really um, smart and thoughtful guy. So without further ado, let me turn it over to my conversation with Martin Gameltoff from Activity Stream for the third time on the Business of Fun podcast. For the third time, I want to welcome Martin Gameltoff from Activity Stream to the Business of Fun podcast. Martin, what's up? This background behind you is entirely different. What's going on over there? There's like the world shaking around me. What's happened? <laughs> Hi, Dave. Uh, so good to be back. Thank you very much for having me. Um, yeah, we uh, we just moved offices, so I'm I'm kind of settling in this first week. Um, we got a chance to move uh, a little bit outside of Copenhagen in, in Denmark um, to uh, be part of a huge startup kind of a hub um, and be next to uh, Qit that some of your listeners might know. Uh, they do virtual waiting room solutions. Uh, with a lot of the major ticketing partners and and a lot of the major venues around the world, so um, you know it's it's hard in Denmark to find companies that are in the same industry. So when we had the chance to to move in next to Qit, uh, we jumped on it, and and it's already been not only a lot of fun, but also seeing the the first kind of synergies in that I can ask the the seasoned veterans of the industry for uh, for advice on. Yeah, various things, and and they they have a pretty good feel of what's happening around the world. So uh, since they're handling major on sales for so many venues and so many ticketing companies all over the world, so, so, so let me yeah. ask you this: in your in your first week or so that you've been next door to them, what's like one big thing you've learned then? Oh, um, I think they're. Uh, they, you should. I mean, you should see their office. It's it's amazing. Like they, they have since they're they're working the globe, and which you can say is, um, yeah, we kind of do too. But we are still focused so much on the on the the English speaking countries. Um, but their con their office is truly international. Like on every desk, there's a small flag. Uh, so you, when people get in in the morning, they take their respective flags, whether they're from Spain or France or Germany or UK, US, Brazil, whatever. They take their respective flags uh, and put it on the table that they sit at, um, so that when you when you move around the office, you're seeing all these flags, and it's it's quite amazing that it's it's a startup a little outside of Copenhagen, Denmark, but it's like. It has 35 different nationalities in one room, so it's uh, yeah, that's been great. No, that's awesome. I um, this we never we don't we, we don't talk about this ever, and this wasn't something I was going to bring up. But when you said the 35 different countries, I was talking to Kat Spencer, who I know you know Kat as well, um, and we were talking about that the other day because she needed, um, or it was her niece wanted some specific candy 
from America that you can only get in America. And then we, and I was like, well, of course I'll get it and, it, and and I'll send it to you. It's totally like, totally cool. Um, I mean, we were talking about it and how nice it is that we have friends and we know people from all these different countries and, you know, and, and like, it's nice that it's next door to you now because that's like been one of the, 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 the truly most amazing things about, um, becoming more uh, global in my, my work is that like I, I now have friends in Copenhagen and like all over the world and, and, and I always feel like it's um it's like such a strength that like and you know so it's like um, that's a nice story to hear first thing and it's like you know it's a point I don't think I make uh, enough because you know it's like I do have these friends all over the world um, that I can call on and learn from and that like or just hang out with and like chat with it's like it's just such a great thing so that's like okay. a really guess, nice message I guess this is a good opportunity to to tell you that I've started uh, kind of putting uh, X's on a US map uh -huh. um, Mapping in everybody I know in the U.S. and that I have a, a good relationship with um, to try to, at some point, make it a tour of the U.S. with yeah. the family. Um, so uh, going from, uh, I don't know, Kyle in New York uh, down to you guys and yeah. all the way over to Sean in L.A. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I'm trying to now, like put small pins on that map. So, so now you're advised that uh, you're a... Uh, yeah. Well, you let us know. This gets falls into like the romance thing. Um, <laughs> but you, uh, you, you and your family are welcome to stay at my house because we have room for you. So you, you're always now, welcome. <laughs> now we'll get a tweet from Peter Lanson about the bromance. Uh, whatever. <laughs> That's it. All right, man. All right. So let's let's talk some ticketing. Um, the, the first thing I think we should pro promote now, we promoted your new office, right? Which was like totally like, why not talk about your new office? Because I thought it was cool that you moved next to Qit and they were founded in Denmark. Is uh, just like, I guess it's now probably a week or two ago that you put, you announced that you're starting a certified consultants program. Now, everybody knows that. Everybody knows, probably has sees that I'm involved. I want to go ahead and toot my own horn, though, because I was the first one that got certified. <laughs> Um, and yeah. but it, I think it's a really cool pro, um, project and a really cool idea that you 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 pulled together, which was like you're going to take some of the respected people all over the world uh, and take them through the training for Activity Stream, and it made it kind of a uh, unique, I want to say, cost effective um, and really like proactive way for small, medium sized organizations, even big ones, if they're working on the, on the activity stream platform, but to engage with both a consultant that they might not necessarily know or think they can work with and in a way that helps them maximize the benefit of activity stream and learn immediately how they can use it to make money. Because I've always been, and I, you know this, a big fan of using AI and the activity stream platform as a revenue generation tool. Mm -hmm. I give, gave you how my view on it is, but where did the idea come from? You know, how did you develop it? You know, and what do you hope people gain from the program? Yeah. Um, so this came from is a me getting the same kind of answer, uh, the same kind of questions over a long time saying, Hey, we really like the platform. We really like the, the service. Um, we want to sign up. And um, as soon as, they sign up, they go like, oh, can you, by the way, can you help us like over the first, the first weeks or months, can you maybe help us uh, get a bit of 
get going. Um, make sure that we get some quick wins. Make sure that we learn the 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 small tricks of the the platform. Um, and I mean, I have to stay true to the the, the strategy that that we're proposing when when we're saying to people that they should do what they do best. Um, so so for me, it was like I know that I. Since I, I mean, I've, I spent years in the industry, so I could I could probably do it personally, but it would not be scalable in any way, um, and it would probably take time away from what I should be doing, um, which is build a better platform and and make it reach more people. Um, so I was kind of looking for a solution to that, and and instead of sort of building a consultancy within ActivityStream, which I felt was like we have no expertise in that area. We would only be getting people that we weren't sure were would be uh, would be occupied all the time. So it would it would it's a major risk. You can say uh, going into something new as a company, especially when you're still a, a kind of a young company. And at the same time, I have this kind of network around the globe with people that. Uh, of people that I that I trust and I know that they bring value and I know that they can handle they I know that they know a lot about the industry I know that they can work their way around uh, our clients um, so I, I was like hey maybe I can just marry the two uh, and obviously it could also mean that some client would have okay we're not we don't really know what activity stream is how it's going to affect our organization but we see that they are working with um, a consultant that we know and that we trust. So I know, I mean, trust can come from many different places. And I think that was just, that was the motivation for it. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think a, a, a great tool can put most organizations on a path to, um, to be more data driven and be more effective but I also do recognize that it's for many organizations, it is an adoption process mm -hmm. and it is transformation process. Right. Um, so you need to kind of build it into the culture. You can't have tools and not people. Um, so you, you need to, to make the things come together and, and some organizations I'll say, will pick up any tool and start working with it in five minutes. And it's just an in, ingrained part of, their, part of their culture to, to adopt new things, but others, you know, might need a little bit more of a massaging and, and especially if you wanted to go beyond like the typical two people in the organization that adopt new, new things. So to say, well, if, if this is an adoption process, how can we stimulate that? Right. And I can say now that because so, since I have been come certified, Right. And I'm happy that I beat Andrew to the punch because uh, he would have definitely lorded it over all of us if he was the first one. So now I'm the first one I can lord it over everybody. Um, but what I am really impressed by is how user friendly the platform is. And I know I've mentioned that several times, but when you're talking about people, um, trust being a, an issue and people in the organization, you, you want to you know, make the platform accessible to people. Um, it could not be easier to use actually. Like once you are able to fake, like once you go through like the training process and what's really powerful, I think 
because that so it doesn't sound like I'm just making an ad for you, um, which if I did, it would be totally fine, um, is that it does give people access to a tool that because there's going to be so many people that have the opportunity to look at it and use it, um, they're all going to change, like have these different insights, right? Because every time I use it, I see something new, right? And you, everybody comes to a situation with a certain amount of bias and a worldview um, just because of the accumulation of their ideas and their experiences and everything else. And I think having something that's like really, really designed from the outset as being extremely user-friendly helps with that because then it allows some of those natural insights and those natural, and I'm using biases, but they're not biases. They're just points of view um, to take hold. And, you know, it's really great. I mean, I'm amazed at how like, easy you can make insights from some of the tools and so i think that's a really a great strength and then having this network of consultants who are learning the tool and you know are going to have experiences working with people all over the place is really a wise way to help the people who are become activity stream partners gain access to some of these insights because it's just like, i mean you know i mean I, I probably don't have to sell the idea of uh why working with a consultant is wise or why using uh some Technology wisely or wisely is also smart, um, but it is. And yeah, but, and, and let me just um, just to that point add that we're not expecting the consultants to do training. I mean, we do we do onboarding. And we use and we do user training, and we 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 teach people how to use the platform. That's not what I'm expecting the consultants to do. I'm I'm just as I say. It's more about working with the organization saying, hey, <clears throat> you're now able to do all these things. Uh, how do you work that into your strategy? How do, you, how do you decide what to do first? How do you evaluate things? How do you involve the whole organization instead of just two people in marketing? So, so it's more on that side to, to, to grow the you can say the, the organizational value of the tool more than the user value, because the user value, I think that's, as you say, it's pretty much covered. It's a, a half an hour onboarding session, and, and then you're pretty much uh, good to go. Uh, so it's more like how do you say you're a 80 people organization in a sports club in, or in a theater? Like, how do you make sure that it's not just two people that have this great asset? Right. No, that's that's exactly right. And, and that's like something that over time, I think we both talk about is uh, helping people understand how to adapt to change and how to take like the first small actions. And, you know, I've been pushing the idea of user friendly a lot, but I think the user friendly is the bonus because it helps people see those first couple steps, because yeah. I know one of the big resistance to change in any organization on any platform, any technology, any tool is that change can feel overwhelming to people. And so like, you know, know, this, this, all this stuff that I think a lot of us are working on is just uh, by focusing on the simple steps and like small wins, it helps a lot because it's very tough to get to the big wins. If you don't get people to buy in by helping them like see progress. Exactly. Um, and I guess it's also kind of the responsibility being a being a platform to serve many organizations. Um, you have to put UI uh, at a lot a lot higher on on your priorities list than if it was a custom built tool for one organization uh, that is built very much inside from the inside and 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 to the organization because 
that could then kind of be based on, yeah, we know this and we know this and we know this. We have to make a platform that like the intern that just started in marketing in a theater or the 58-year-old who works in the box office, they, they should be able to kind of pick this off the shelf and, well, basically start doing segmented campaigns that they push to Facebook business manager, do lookalike campaigns. And I, I mean, I want people that have no prior experience with that to be able to do it because it's just that's the way we need to go as an industry. Yeah, the segmentation idea is really great, too, because I think if nobody's listened to it yet, they should go back and download the episode that you from um, with Jacob Lawson. Who is your your a friend of yours? Who you told me I should talk to, um, because he talked yeah. a lot about segmentation and what the activity stream platform uh, allows people to do, or you know, just in general, you you know, segmentation is huge. Um, but the tool that we're talking about right now, which is activity stream, um, allows you to even become more um, targeted and focused. To, focused on the way that you can segment. Um, and I know you have some specific ideas and some specific observations about segmentation. And in the context of using the data you have available and taking small steps to help um, create big results from segmentation, can you give us like a few ideas, maybe like two or three ideas about what's important from your point of view um, to know, for somebody to know and you know, kind of create change around segmentation so that they can yeah. do it better? Yeah, sure. And and I mean, um, I guess just like a, a consultant, I, I have the, the privilege of being able to pick up best practices and then bring them into a, uh, I bring them into a tool, you'll probably put them into your consultancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I truly enjoyed the, the points that were made by, by Jacob when he was on, on your podcast. I mean, uh, some of his ideas uh, immediately uh, became part of the roadmap at ActivityStream because I had never ever thought about the way that he said that they were building the message for the campaigns based on the sections that people were in, saying that people in the stadium, and for the people that are listening to this and don't know Jacob, he's uh, he's from FC Copenhagen, uh, the biggest uh, soccer slash football club in Denmark. Um, and they were doing uh, segmentation based on the different sections of the stadium. So kind of saying that, okay, the people on the in the family section are there for a completely different experience than the diehard fans that are behind the goal at, at one end. And I thought that was that was extremely interesting and what he what he also said was and i this is my own uh experience as well that facebook has gotten to a point where you can't really beat that algorithm Uh, but what you can do is make it as effective as possible so if i say i put up uh an ad for a show or a match and i just put it in Facebook and tell Facebook to, hey, find me some people that want to buy tickets. So you, you start you start out the Facebook campaign with pretty much a blank slate and ask this Facebook to figure it out. Uh, Facebook will learn over a, a bit of time, but uh, but that's not that's going to cost you. 
so what, what Jacob said was, if I can take out a relevant segment of people that I know fit the profile, I may not know what the profile is, actually, because it, it's not necessarily uh, women be between 28 and 35 that live in this area. Because we're, we've talked weak patterns before. Sometimes it's just patterns between people that we can't see. Um, and he said, if I carve out uh, a representative segment, not, not even knowing the patterns between them, load them up into Facebook and have Facebook go search for lookalikes, um, that, uh, that was extremely effective for him. And I think you can do the same if, say, you're a theater um, and you just go and say, well, we have a lot of different things on, on show, but let me, as a starting point, just take out all the people that in my customer base would be tagged as loyal customers or very loyal customers. Take those out, put them to Facebook, <coughs> and just ask Facebook to find me more people like this. Um, I think those are some of the segmentations that are really easy to get at and really easy to to make use of in terms of yeah using Facebook in actually the the best way possible because let's not deny this that Facebook is an amazing algorithm uh, and it and it knows things about us uh, that we would probably be scared to know ourselves but um, <laughs> but. I mean, if you play it the right way, and um, if any of you, I mean, if anyone, my, so my wife does uh, flower bouquets from the garden and puts them on Facebook and Instagram and sell them that way. Um, and constantly, if, if she does, like, put up a, a, an image of a bouquet, Facebook will come back and say, uh, boost this, uh, this post. Like, it'll cost you five bucks. But that's an that's a completely unsegmented boost. So I mean, those five bucks would go just into thin air. Um, while on the other hand, if she takes out the hundred people that have already bought flower bouquets um, and put them into Facebook, that would work. So I think, uh, and I'm still seeing people like struggling with with these kind of how to use segmentation from my own customer base. And then use that knowledge to extend that customer base. And the thing about what you just said about segmentation and being able to make the Facebook algorithm smarter as just a starting point for this conversation, it seems logical, right? And, and that's what I liked about it um, because the thing is, it's like once you like – have your, you know, it's kind of like you have a blinder on and you, you take the blinder off and then you see like, oh my God, yes, of course that makes sense that like um, mm. people who are in the family se section are going to look different <laughs> and react different and buy differently than everybody else. But a lot of times like you're so overwhelmed by the data, right? Which is like kind of become a little bit of a theme around here um, is that you, you, it's not that you don't realize that it's that you're so overwhelmed by the data that you forget that. And so like being able to think about that and understand that that is um, you sort of a box to check as or as you think through, I mean, it's really, really helpful because the data is great, right? Having all this data is awesome. Um, mm -hmm. Having it just overwhelm you 
is as as bad as it as having it is awesome. And so you know, like knowing like lookalike audiences and, and segmentation and, and um, understanding the different ways that people look at it. Um, it's really helpful. And, you know, again, I would tell everybody to go back and listen to Jacob because he taught like some of the examples that he used. It was unbelievable because uh, my jaw was dropping when he was talking about like the 17 to one return on investment with merchandise. And I was like, holy, my Lord. I was like, I wish yeah. I could do that. And I think that's, um, that's also a very, um, very relevant point saying that I see so many organizations that have, I don't know, two people working with marketing and um and when you talk marketing with them they go like yeah we don't have time for that or like if only we had more people we would do that and like to jacob's point as well he said like i have an unlimited budget as long as i'm doing 10 times returns on on investments Mm -hmm. um and then i mean if you i think a lot of organizations are still just doing things, not really measuring, not really learning from it. Um, and if you're stuck in that, I mean, if I were your manager, I would not like give you a higher budget. But if you come back and you say, well, I've now spent my budget uh, $5,000 a month on advertising. Um, last month, the 5,000 created uh, $50,000 in return. Um, could I have a higher budget? Yeah, that's a, that's yeah, pretty that's a reasonable question to, yeah. to ask. Um, yes. and, and I would like go, yeah, I mean, let's keep monitoring and see if it, if you, if you can keep that rate or if it like drops when you, when you invest more, but it makes it a lot easier to allocate more like money to ad spend or even more people um, in saying that, Hey, we have tried out doing our first segment segmented campaigns instead of yeah you know, one message fits all um, and we're seeing that it doubles our uh, return on ad spend for instance yeah. so so we want to do more mm-hmm. I mean as a manager and, and that was a, that was I think that was one of Jacob's key points as well is that I have to be pretty strong on numbers. When I go to the go to management and say I want more money or I want more people, um, because I mean, marketing is is the the money don't fall back into marketing. Uh, the money right. uh, marketing is a cost center, right? Uh, so, well, so uh, let me stop you there. See, because that's the problem is that for too many organizations, they allow mark, and this is the challenge that CMOs are dealing with, that marketing departments are dealing with, is that they allow themselves to be considered a cost. But the yeah. truth is, and I have had this conversation at least five or six times this week, marketing better be a profit center. <laughs> it's like you have to know. That the money you're sending out for every dollar I send out needs to return in, you know, five, right? You know, or 10, depending on what you're selling and what you're doing, right? Because for some organizations, if I spend a dollar and I get $2 back, you're pretty happy, which I think that's like if you double your money every time, I think I'd be pretty happy as well, um, and depending on what it is. Um, but the other part is, is that for too many people, marketing has taken on a only a tactical role. And the thing I really um, enjoyed about what it, about this conversation that we're having now, but also talking to Jacob, was that he was like, oh, no, no, no. It is definitely a strategic thing. And yeah. it, it, 
it needs to kind of be something that is well thought out and structured to reflect the entire mission of what the organization is doing. Not just like, oh, we're trying to sell tickets or we're just trying to raise awareness for this specific show. Your marketing dollars and your advertising campaigns and all of these things you do need to be more strategic. And I think that's often missed along with the idea that marketing should be about making boatloads of money. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, and I, I think it's one of the, it is one of the interesting things I see when when organizations adopt the tool like activity stream because since we join uh, the information from the ticketing platform so you'll have all the sales but it also collects all the information from the campaigns um, so joining those in in, a, in in one view I mean I'm still working with so many organizations that have oh we have a sales department and we have a marketing department and I mean, yeah, the marketing department, they have this Google Analytics tool. And the sales department, they have this ticketing platform. Uh, but the two teams don't see the other. Uh, so when when things are brought together, it kind of pushes on, an, on a cultural change as well because the sales team can now see that, oh, I can see that we've sold uh, 160 tickets for this show yesterday. And apparently 78 of them um, came via some Facebook campaign which was done by a marketing team. So suddenly there's a, yeah, the cost center uh, becomes more of a, a revenue generator uh, right. in, in, in how it's perceived. Um, and, and that then flows back to like the culture and, and how organizations should, should be working um, side by side. And, and um, I mean, if the sales team is not seeing an effect from the marketing team, I mean, it's, it might be that the marketing team isn't working effectively, but it might also be that, that the dialogue between them is just not good enough. Right. And to me, it sort of plays out, and I'm curious how you feel about this, is that if you have every – because I've always been a bit – no surprise here, right? Do what you do best is that organizations need more like uh, people who function in a, in a way like a chief revenue officer. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> do what you do best. That's me um, but or, or anybody like me. But what happens is like if you have marketing and sales working on two different um, – in two different ways, right? And they're not necessarily – um, working together very effectively, you miss out on a lot of buying patterns and the way like you don't see how the buying patterns are meaningful. And so then you end up throwing um, good ideas out for bad ideas because you're not making the connection like you just pointed out between what the marketing team is doing and the sale it's creating. And so then all of a sudden you're like, well, well the only tool I have is something awful like, let's say, uh, discounts. Um, <laughs> I got to work it in every now and then. But yeah, you, you, you miss those buying patterns. And then all of a sudden you're making decisions that just aren't effective, right? They're uh, inconsistent with your goals. They don't necessarily return the investment that you need them to. It's, I mean, any all kinds of things. So I'm kind of curious about like your take on like uncovering and using uh, the data that you can't come up with uh, on buying patterns and how to use it more effectively and kind of where you think it fits. And again, I mean, th this is going to turn into a, a, a praise fest for Jacob. But uh, once again, I, I think I saw him give a presentation at a conference uh, recently, and he, he just mentioned that they've been uh, marketing the, the next match uh, on like on Facebook or paid media 
Um, and they would do it like seven days out. Um, and it was somewhat effective. Um, but suddenly he saw, again, going into the sections, he saw that the family section, they were actually buying like two weeks out, uh, which means that he's completely missing uh, a whole segment. So he's, uh, he's kind of doing uh, a somewhat effective campaign, but uh, to, to some sections where buying pattern is actually buying like three, four, five days out or on day even. Um, so, but he was missing the, the, the planners um, and only by investigating what is, what is the buying pattern for, for different sections. And I would say if we take this into performing arts or theater, it would be the buying patterns for, for different um, regions, or it would be uh, buying patterns for different uh, categories of events. So your comedy shows might have a completely different buying pattern than your, uh, than your musical events or your, uh, you know, classical orchestra uh, concerts. It, it might be completely different. And on the, if you don't know this, um, you might just be, throwing money um, out the window because you're, you're missing the, you're missing the buying window, if you will. Yeah, uh, no, that's absolutely right. I have a friend and he was on the podcast just the other day, a guy called Mike Guffrey. Yeah. Um, and Mike was talking about, you know, the need to, um, you know, just like put your marketing and selling budget behind um, the right call to action at the right time. And sometimes that's missed because, Oh my gosh, I, I and then I think what it means to me is that the buying patterns, what they really say are being missed in the, in the conversion, right? Because as you were, you were giving me your explanation, I was thinking about the role of the secondary market, right? Which is, I know different all the, all around the world. Yeah. But one of the things that the secondary market does, especially well in the U S is that they understand the buying patterns and the buying habits of specific buyers, right? Uh, you know, segments, they, they do a very good job of segmenting. And I'm only thinking that, in the context of what I used to do is because I was really great about understanding the buying habits and the buying patterns of corporate buyers. And yeah. they are a tie buy in an entirely different way with an entirely different um, thought process and need and want desire budget, every different variable than yeah. any other, um, you know, lookalike audience you're going to try to create. You, you, you almost couldn't because, you know, it's a lot of last minute thing. A lot of times the budget is inconsequential. Um, you know, there's all these different things. And I think it's really important because you, a lot of times when making these decisions, assumptions are made and yep. the assumptions are made not based on data. They are mm -hmm. based, based on like gut instinct or um, yeah. feeling I have or whatever. And I was like, and what you're telling me and what everybody's telling me and what I've keep uncovering is that data is necessary to help us kind of counteract our assumptions. We can still use our assumptions. There's still great room for us to be thoughtful and creative and um, use that knowledge that we've created. But the most important thing is probably use data to make sure we're not making bad decisions because we have a blind spot because we just are sort of taking our own emotional um, yeah, yeah. self. And, and, that wasn't and, a very good question. I, I, uh, I, I saw uh, Jill Robinson, the, the CEO of TRG Arts, and she gave a wonderful uh, presentation uh, a few months back. And, and she, she labeled it human plus. 
And I immediately took that to heart because it, it kind of coins what we're, we're doing as well, is helping people um, be as impactful as they can, being people. Um, so, I mean, you're talking about creativity. I'm talking about saying you can be the most creative copywriter and do fantastic campaigns, but in using Jacob's example, if you're pushing out that campaign eight days after the average uh, the average fan has already bought or made a purchase decision, you're you're just wasting that effort uh, and getting very low impact. So I'm just I only want to make the creative people more successful in understanding and, and just when they say like yeah we we run this campaign um, two weeks before the match. I want to say why. And if they and if they don't reply with that's because the buying pattern analysis for for this kind of match shows that that's the optimal time. If the, if that's not the answer, then they should look into it, because if it's as Jacob said, I mean, they were just doing working from an assumption like yeah, seven days out feels kind of like a good time because that's when I would. I mean, typically, uh, you know, the focus group of one. Uh, that's when I would probably make my decision. <laughs> so, and completely missing the fact that they have a huge segment of people that decide two days out, and they have a huge segment of people that decide 21 days out. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, so now when they say, like, we push out campaigns 21 days before because that's when that section purchases, and then we do one leading up to the game where we target a different crowd, different message, because that's what they decide. Yes. And I think, and I mean, as I said, the same thing can be done in theater. Um, we typically see that, that first time buyers, um, you'll have a lot of first time buyers, like a few days, like the day off or a few days before an event, while the loyal and very loyal customers have a much, more flat buying pattern. Uh, so a lot of them will, you know, know the venue, they'll know the programming, they'll, they'll make their buying pattern, buying decisions much, much earlier. And if you don't understand that, um, you're just missing, um, and it might be the same for whether people are local or coming from, from far away. Yeah. It, it's interesting. I, I like the idea, Joe's idea of human plus and, and, you know, and your, your idea of, we want to help, creative people be more creative because I think that a lot of times what happens is people who are in the theater or in the arts, especially they, they will go, Oh my gosh, you know, I'm a creative person and, um, or I'm dealing with people and I just can't do it. And as a marketer, right. Somebody who I don't necessarily know if I'm like super tech savvy in every instance or like so data analytics that I'm like, completely far gone. I can't see it both ways. What I do think is, is that the tools and the technologies that we have access to are not necessarily there to limit our ability to be human. They are there to help us be even better at being human, right? Which is like mm -hmm. when you talk, like when you and Sean and uh, Anthony were talking about the magic moments in Dallas in January, it was great because you were able to take some data 
get some feedback from the numbers and information of what was meaningful for people. And in like the case of um, Anthony with the Braves, right, they were able to station like beer vendors and hot dog vendors like near specific sections where there was people like that were had like families and um, like kids and like or like it was tough for them to get service. Yeah. And that's great, right? That's an, a, a, a great example of being more human, right? And like going, hey, look, this is something I can easily do. It's going to make a better experience for everybody. And I well, think that's all we're talking about. Yeah, I, you know, I, we were working with a, a UK theater and they've been working with customer moments for a long time. And they would they have like a customer relations manager. Um, she would every morning spend an hour or an hour and a half going through like sales reports of like who is going to be in the theater tonight and trying to spot like who should we uh are there people here that are uh relevant for setting up specific customer moments or specific customer uh communications and only after having gone through the data would she put it in motion. And I'm pretty sure that she's excellent at setting up the, the moments. Um, so I just want to take that hour and a half and cut it into five minutes and say, well, here are all the tools that will point out the, piece, the people of interest. And now you can spend an hour and 25 minutes being more creative about your communication or do more of it. Um, so, yeah, again, I'm, I'm, I don't think, I mean, I think the potential is still so, so big that, I mean, we're just freeing up people to do better. And then we're just freeing up people to create more sales, better customer loyalty. Um, so we may down the line, I mean, we might be at a, at a point where technology becomes so strong that we'll start reducing, uh, some, uh, some functions, but I don't, I just see that there's so much potential in freeing up people to be creative, to be like person to person, have those interactions. Like if you have too much time in your day, just wander around the theater. And if someone comes in the door, greet them. I mean, that's time better spent than sifting through, through Excel sheets, right? That's absolutely right. Because I, as you were explaining it, I was going, it's just really like some of the tools and technologies that you advocate, I advocate for, uh, ActivityStream does, is it takes some of the monotonous, mundane things away from you. So that like instead of like trying to having to sift through the data to figure out what you're looking for. You can think about what I need to look for, and then you can use the tool to help you find exactly those instances that would be that you know. Hey, who's are there people buying big blocks of tickets, right? So then you go, well, why, right? What, what's going on? And that helps you make better decisions about, well, what can I do to encourage more of this stuff, right? Or you know, let me find out why they're doing it, so maybe I can create stuff that's meaningful for them or that increases their their you know their experience or this person seems to come every monday night what's up with this right let me find yeah. out why and, and it's all just easily there and some of these examples you wouldn't necessarily uncover just by dealing with a spreadsheet it just what you know you wouldn't because it would be tough to like discover those patterns because yeah, i mean some, like some of them are easy i mean some of them quite simple like going okay uh Get, get me a list of everyone who's coming tonight for the first time. Um, that might be doable in the, in the ticketing platform. 
or um, give me a list of the top 20 uh, customers that I have and I'll map when when is the next time they'll be in the venue. That might also be quite simple, but then you go on to the more complex stuff and you go like, here's a person who was previously a very regular attendee and a high value customer, hasn't been to the theater for 16 months, but is coming back on Saturday. Um, I mean, that's such a potential opportunity because you you know that that person can can be re kind of reactivated, be brought back to previous behavior, um, but for some reason has been absent for for some time. Um, or one of my favorite examples is one thing that is pretty hard to see in a spreadsheet is when something is not happening. Right. So this this high value customer uh, typically bought tickets every month but now hasn't been to a show for six months. I can assure you that someone has, the fact that someone has stopped doing something, is not gonna show up in a spreadsheet. No. Uh, that's gonna take a lot of analysis and a lot of time. I'm not saying it's not worth the time, I'm just saying that what you would want to do is, is just have that brought to you. Well, it's a pattern <laughs> that is hidden, right? Because you would not necessarily, as a person, you might not recognize that, right? You would be like going, well, Martin has been coming all the time. And then you're like looking, if you're not looking specifically for Martin's name, yeah. you wouldn't recognize that it wasn't there. You would just be like, you would continue looking for something else. Whereas like all of a sudden you, there's a streak, right? It's like gamif gamifying the data. Uh, Martin has been here once a week for the last four months, right? Like so use like a restaurant or a bar as an example. All of a sudden he stops coming. What happened to Martin, right? And I, I think I mean we're we're seeing the same when we when we start tapping into things like scanning data. Um, so uh, so looking at like whether people attend or not. Uh, I mean, if you're a season card holder, uh, and um, if you're a season card holder and you're suddenly missing a match, I mean, I, I think Jacob called it uh, birthdays and weddings. I mean, sure, not a problem. Uh, fans will miss the occasional match. But if we see them missing two matches in a row or even three matches in a row, I mean, shouldn't we start communicating? Shouldn't we start reaching out? Shouldn't we start figuring out what, what's going on? Like, did they, I'm sure they didn't lose interest, but hey, did this guy just have... Did, did this guy just have twins that yeah. mm -hmm. don't sleep at night? Uh, so, so he's not—he's just not allowed to go to to to, to see a right. basketball game anymore. Um, so, and and if you reach out um, with a context of "Hey, we've missed you for the last three games. Is there anything we can do?" and and or you just ask if is everything okay? Yeah, sure. You know I mean? How often is like oh, how yeah. meaningful is that? You know, I, I, I have this phrase when I'm talking customer moments and customer experience, and it goes like, show me you know me and show me you care. Uh, so this would be, hey, we, we know you. We know you have a season card. Uh, we know that you haven't been to the last three games, and we do care if you're coming. Or, like, if something is up, is there something we can do? Um, because we, yeah, we're not here to, to make money like the next three months, we're here to have a, a relationship with you. 
Yeah. Lifetime customer value, right? And even as much as that is important too, to me, it's having access to this data and doing things that, you know, show me, you know me, show me you care thing. It's like, it just makes your work more meaningful. It just makes, you know, doing your job better. At least to me, maybe I'm all softy. No, <laughs> I don't think I don't think you are. But I mean, it's uh, scanning data is, has just for me been one of those things that that just sit completely unused in a lot of organizations. Um, I've spoken to some of the U.S. Uh, sports teams that have gone into working with this, uh, but a, in a very kind of manual um, or <laughs> at least expensive way. Um, to try to, to, to get at these insights. And, um, and what we're seeing is just like, well, one thing is you know, scanning data can be quite effective for the operational planning that you know, you understand your gate load, you understand like why are some people coming late? Yep. Like, is it like people coming for the first time? Are they arriving on time? Uh, or because if they're not, then our first timer communication is probably not good enough. Um, or, and then as you move into to using it more strategically, you, you, you have these, you have this ability to, to you know, when, when season card renewal comes up, um, and now we're putting Jacob aside because he kind of silver bulleted that one. Um, uh, so, so we're looking at a, a season card renewal period. And if you, and if you don't, if you're not using your scanning data, you just go out and you communicate, you send the same message to everyone. Right. I mean, and there's a pretty big difference between the guy who's been to all the matches arriving an hour before the game. Um, and then the people that for some reason missed half the games, uh, or they just didn't attend all the games during winter, uh, because they, uh, they didn't enjoy sitting outside on, on a February night. Um, so there's a pretty big difference in how you should be messaging these people. Uh, some might be just, you know, further upsells. Like, wouldn't you like, yeah, let, let's, let's get you that season card ahead of everyone else and then see what else you want to buy. Yeah. That's the diehard. And for others, it might actually be a, a full win back uh, situation where you're like, okay, we know that you missed six out of 10 matches this season. Uh, we're really sorry about that. Like, how can we, how can we make it better? Uh, like, should you maybe, should we get you, uh, 10, 10 tickets, a mix and match subscription? I don't know. I mean, whatever structure, but, but just reaching out in a, in a relevant way. Right. Oh, absolutely. And I think the, I mean, I don't think this, I know this, it's, it's still tough to teach people the idea that you can do. Um, customization of messaging at scale, and you can't do it at the scale where you hit click, you click send, and you mail out a million messages. That's just basically spam. Um, but you can send out customization at scale that's thoughtful, right? Because using some of these um, look-alike audiences, or um, you know, kind of mail merge, or like uh, ideas where you know, you, you take the data you have and you populate the message with relevant statistics or relevant data. I mean, that stuff you can do at scale, right? There, there's tools available, but I, and so I, I want to eliminate that as a, a reason not to do it. 
but talking to people in a way that's relevant and meaningful to them is just smart for business because the thing is is that we are inundated with messages that are undifferentiated, um, repetitive, uh, often offer no value. Um, yeah, I can go on and on. And yeah. it harms our ability to build a relationship, to grow, to gain a customer, and to grow that customer. Um, it, it's just, you know, I, I feel the need to repeat this over and over and over again. And what you're talking about and what I continue to learn, right, because I'm continually learning, is that there is just like more and more greater opportunities for the companies and the organizations that are just willing to take a step back um, mm-hmm. and think about through their, the way they approach data the way they approach technology, the way they approach their customers in a little bit more thoughtful manner. Yeah. And, you know, and that's like always the bulk of what we talk about. And that's the bulk of like what, you know, I think is going to help organizations continue to grow and capture attention. And I, I completely agree. And I think we've, we've touched on it um, previously in, in, in one of the podcasts on the ROI. Uh, of what you're doing, and, and I, I am still stuck with this um, this experience that that when you're talking to people, they go like, "Oh yeah, but that tool costs money," um, and they kind of seem maybe even oblivious to the fact that not segment not segmenting their communication is costing them a lot of money. Oh yeah. Because every, uh, I mean, and there are organizations that have looked into how much uh, a newsletter subscriber is actually worth. And it could be anywhere from $5 up to $50. So every time you communicate irrelevantly to someone, you run the risk of that person clicking unsubscribe. Or you're, or you're over time, you're teaching your customer base that, Hey, sometimes the newsletter is going to be for you. Other times it's going to be for someone else. I'm just telling you everything that's on. Yes. Like, yes, we have, uh, we have a comedy show next Saturday. The week after I send you a newsletter saying, Hey, we have a hard rock concert. And the week after I send you a message saying, we've got a ballet show. And I'm just teaching you over time that one in three newsletters is going to be interesting for you. So I'm not going to see the conversion. I'm not going to see the click rate because over time you're not going to make the effort unless it, it might be that like you might be in a good mood that day. So you actually open it, but you're not, when it, when it lands in your inbox, you're going to, yeah, so what? Um, you're not jumping on it because you think that, Hey, it might just be whether it's the comedy show or the rock concert or it's the ballet show that, that you're not interested in. That might be it. And, um, and I, I'm still, I was speaking to a concert promoter recently and they go like, yeah, why would we segment? Because then we're just um, missing out on, on potential buyers. And I go like, don't you, I mean, you need to understand the cost and that is unsubscribes and it is teaching your audience that you're not relevant. Um, and the cost of that is huge. Um, I know it's a very hard sales pitch to go and say, hey, you're spending a lot of time on or spending a lot of money currently on not applying a tool, but because it feels a little, you know, a little aggressive, but, but it's, it's, it's the truth. You leave that to the American because, you know, we're Americans, we're salesy. 
<laughs> but it, it's absolutely true. It's um, I was talking to a concert promoter even yesterday about the exact same thing, right? It's like if you the premise that you built your event on is that there's cultural diversity and that there are different audiences that I'm trying to speak to. Yeah, you're going to take your marketing efforts and you're just going to throw it throw one size fits all out there. Then, like, which one is it? Because you, you you told yourself the answer. I'm just sitting here holding the mirror up, going, you know, are you segmenting or are you mass blasting? It's up to mm-hmm. you, right? You can do either one, but one of them's going to work and one of them's not going to work, and you already know because you decided what it was. I'm just here yeah. to help. Yeah, and and let's uh, let's at this point excuse all the people that are. I mean, there are promoters out there that only do hard rock concerts, so. Let's excuse them and say that's fine that you're not segmenting. But if you're a concert promoter, yeah, but that's, that's no, just knowing what you do best and doing what you do best. See, so no, 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 we, they, they don't need to be excused. They're they they're better at this than we are. They're doing what um, they do best. They'll be excused to, to uh, for not segmenting. Uh, but if you're a concert promoter doing all kinds of different shows, or if you're a, a venue putting up all kinds of different shows. Um, there's really no excuse for not segmenting, uh, and it might not be that you, you're not. You shouldn't be down to like having 424 segments, but you should probably have three or four um, to stay relevant. That's exactly right, and um, I, I would argue only because I'm contrary that even within the hard rock, if you were just doing hard rock concert, you could still segment. But uh, now, but now I'm just open. Now I'm just trying to be difficult. There's a truly wonderful um, website. I think it's called Map of Metal. I'll I'll look it up after this podcast, so you can put it in the in the notes. It's uh, because there are like I don't know two hundred different variations of hard rock, um, and and it maps them all out. Like these go into goth, and these go these goes into Nordic, and these goes into yeah black metal. And, oh, and death that. metal! Yes. Oh, yeah. I got it. I think it's called Map of Metal. Uh, I'll look it up, but it's a it's a wonderful site. Yeah, so they they will they will probably be some some pretty uh, advanced segmentation in there as well. Yeah, I think that's a good place to stop here because I think we've never talked about metal on the podcast before. So this is like <laughs> like drop the mic. No, no, and you've yeah. done enough, Martin. Where does that, where can everybody find you? Even though I know they know how to find you because I, I tell them how to find you. But go ahead, you yeah. you, pro- you promote you. Um. Yeah, I mean. Uh, the company is www.activitystream.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, yeah, or my email is even on the on the website. So I'm, I'm, I shouldn't be that hard to find. I mean, I, I have a I'm not exactly Adam Smith, right? Yes. So that's uh, exactly right. <laughs> so uh, search out Martin Gamelsoft, and and I'll probably pop up. You'll be the top of the search results, even. So. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think now, over time, I've become top of the search. Like when you, if you put Dave Wakeman in, you you only get me, even though there's a whole bunch of them. So uh, we've been very successful you, <laughs> in doing that. Well, thanks, man, for doing this. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. There it is, my conversation with Martin Gameltoff, number three. Uh, what did you think? Let me know. Send me an email. It is my name, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. 
You can also check me out on my website. That's www.davewakeman.com where I post a blog every single day. Some of them are big. Some of them are not so big. But it is a practice that I have developed over the years, which is a way for me to constantly force myself to ask myself what's going on in the world. And I share that with you. So go to my website, um, davewakeman.com. Look at the blog. Uh, There's all kinds of stuff there. And I'm constantly continuing to add more. If you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm there. I'd love it if you follow me on Twitter. I'm at David Wakeman on Twitter. As I've mentioned, uh, however many times that I've done this podcast, if you know the guy who has the at Dave Wakeman ha- uh, Twitter handle, get it for me. I need it. I don't think he's tweeted since 2014. I want that Twitter handle. Um, if you like the podcast, would you take a moment and share it with just one person? a colleague, a friend, uh, someone who you think would benefit from one of the conversations we've had. Uh, Besides the one with Martin, I did some really great ones last month with Tony Knopp, Patrick Ryan, Mike Guffrey, um, Robin, Cantrell Finnick. Uh, The list goes on. There's just great podcasts from the very start with Joe Michelle, uh, Lauren Teague, um, Kate M. Rotkowski, uh, all kinds of really, really great people. So, if you find one and you think somebody would enjoy it or learn something from it, you know, please share it with them. Um, if you are so inclined, I'd love it if you'd become a subscriber. We are on all the major podcasting platforms now. You can get us on Stitcher and uh, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, right? And most, maybe most importantly, if you're a subscriber and you like the podcast, maybe you write a review. All these things add up. They help people discover the podcast. They make sure that I am encouraged. Uh, now I'm really encouraged. Uh, I really do enjoy doing this. But make sure that people can find this so that I'm able to share these conversations with larger and larger audiences and we can work to improve uh, the marketing and selling of live experiences and tickets. As always, I want to thank my friends at Booking Protect for helping me put on this podcast. Like I mentioned at the start, you will be able to see me and Simon Mab, the CEO of Booking Protect, at the Ticketing Professionals Conference of Australia on November 14th and 15th in Sydney. It's going to be great. I'm giving the opening keynote address on change. It's going to be great. I'm going to talk about the courage to change and how you can make change an ongoing part of your organization. Simon's going to talk about customer service, uh, delivering customer service in the digital world, and being uh, customer-focused. In the lead-up to the conference, you're going to find that we're going to do a whole bunch of stuff that will enable you to engage with me and Simon about our trip to Australia um, and all kinds of other things. That we're going to, we got just some really fun stuff that we're going to roll out and do over the next couple months as we build up the lead to Australia. It's going to be great. But if you haven't checked out Booking Protect just yet, you should because... Booking Protect, besides just delivering the most comprehensive refund protection product every, anywhere in the world, their platform is built on a foundation of customer service. They are award-winning customer service givers. Whatever the term that's proper for that is, they deliver the best customer service in the world, and they get the rewards to prove it. They also help you with your consumers in today's day and age where Consumers have to buy tickets earlier and earlier. Booking Protect helps you with that. They help you allow your customers to modify and customize their buyer path. And 
maybe one of the most important things that they can do for a lot of organizations is they give them a brand new the opportunity to earn a brand new stream of revenue. So visit them at www.bookingprotect.com and find out how you can partner with Booking Protect. If you have any questions or any ideas or anything that you want to find out about Booking Protect, send me an email. I'll make sure it gets to the right person. Finally, before I go, make sure that you visit www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au to get your tickets to the first Ticketing Professionals Conference put on by Angela Higgins and Joe Michelle. I, like I said, I'm going to be giving the opening keynote address. You don't want to miss this. I'm flying 23 hours to get to Australia. I couldn't be more excited. Uh, I want to make sure that as many people are there as possible. So visit www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Get your tickets. Send me your confirmation email. And I'll do something special for you and your organization. So take me up on that offer, okay? Go to www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Buy your tickets. Buy them for your whole team. Send me an email with your confirmation at davidavewakeman.com, and I will do something for your organization. I don't know what. Maybe I'll do a special Q&A, an AMA. Um, we'll do some kind of coaching call or a uh, revenue something. I don't know. Um, the more people that take me up on it, the likelihood is great that I'm going to be more, more and more creative. And what I'm going to do is going to be more and more fun. So take advantage of that offer by going to www.ticketingprofessionals.com.au. Buy your tickets. Send me your confirmation. Help us make sure that this conference this year is fully committed and is a hit. I'm counting on you. <laughs> and as always, thank you for listening. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your support. And until I see you again and talk to you then, take it easy. See ya.